Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody, and tell them good morning.
find my shelter in you, my God. And there you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safe place. My strength is in your name. And though I stumble, you won't let me fall. Cause you hold me in your hand. And you direct my every step. You hold me in your With love that conquers my every fear, your kindness draws me near. And though I stumble, you won't let me fall. You hold me in your hand, and you direct my every step. You hold me. And though I stumble, you won't let me fall, cause you hold me in your hand, and you direct my every step, you hold me in your in your grace and I praise your great name oh I stay in your grace and I praise your great name oh I stay in your grace and I That is a great song, isn't it? Praise the Lord. 
So this morning, uh, I'll introduce myself. I think most of you know me. I'm Robert Grimes, and I'm the part-time missions pastor here at Carpenter's Way, which I count that to be a, a really uh, great honor to be able to do that. I love being involved in missions. Uh, I think this church is very mission-geared, and, and we would like uh, to continue to grow that. Uh, as y'all know or may not know, we support several missionaries uh, we, first, we support the International Mission Board through the Southern Baptist Convention. But we also support 15 uh, missionaries that we select each year to support uh, with, our with our money, also with our prayers, and sometimes with trips. And so I want to remind you that out there on that table, right out that door to the right, there is a, a table that has each of the missionaries on there that we support. There's also a few of these out here, out there, that have all of, all of them that we support on one page with their names on the back. Uh, so if you want to pick one of those up, put it on your refrigerator, pray for them. Uh, uh, this morning we're going to have, a, which I'm really honored to have here today, a, a missionary that actually came from our church. And I'm going to bring up Yvette Alverson in just a second here to introduce Cassidy. Uh, but... I just want y'all to be involved in missions. I want you to be praying about it. I want you to think about it. It's something that is so important to us as a body of believers to go out and spread the gospel, especially the way the world is right now. There are so many people out there that are wandering, that are lost, that are, that, that are trying to find a truth or following their own truth, and we can be that light that can share that gospel with them that will give them hope for the future. So I'm going to bring you up Yvette. Yvette's on our mission investment team, which is the group that chooses those missionaries we support. And I'm going to let her introduce our guest, guest speaker who's going to speak for a few minutes. Hi. As Robert said, I'm on the mission investment team. Um, this is my second chance to be on it. And I have to say, things like this are one of the blessings of getting to be with that team because um, when we met Cassidy, we just had an instant connection, and our goal in mission investment is to form relationships with our missionaries. And Cassidy and I have gotten really close over the past uh, couple of years. This is our second year to support her, and we're trying to get a team together to go. We're praying about um, the unrest in Haiti, and she'll talk about that a little bit. But um, just the opportunity to get to pray for her, to get to message with her mom about being a missionary mom. Um, that truly is just the greatest um, gift to, to be able to connect with our missionaries. So we've got Cassidy Eberlin. Um, she's here with part of her family. Um, she's been in since the beginning of November, and she'll go back after Christmas. And uh, she works in In His Hands Orphanage. She, her heart is children. Her heart is uh, preschool. She's a preschool teacher. We got to have coffee um, when she got back, and so I already know the wonderful things she's going to share with you. And uh, just just keep her in your prayers and uh, keep her in your thoughts. If you've ever thought about doing a little extra for a missionary, she's uh, she's a good one to support. So I give you Cassidy Everlin. Hi, y'all. Um, so today, <laughs> I wanted to talk to y'all about um, what I do in Haiti. Um, my name is Cassidy Everlin, as she just said, and I work with In His Hands Orphan Home in Haiti. Um, we're about an hour and a half from the capital. 
Um, first, I just wanted to talk about the unrest in Haiti. Um, so there has been some civil unrest really since last July, but it's been on and off for this past year and a half, or almost, yeah, year and a half. And so basically what civil unrest means in Haiti is they block all the roads, they burn tires, and they'll throw rocks at the cars, and it's just not really safe to be on the road. And I can't really tell you what the problem is because there are a lot of problems in Haiti right now, and that's why there is so much civil unrest. But the main thing is that they want this president to step down. And so um, that actually affects us a lot. It may not seem like it, but it affects our everyday life because we can't go to the market or it's unsafe for us to go to the market. Just simple things like that that you can do every day. We can't go because they're blocking the road or it's just not safe to be on the road. And also it's affected us because we have not been able to have mission teams for, we were supposed to have maybe 18 mission teams this year, um, and we only had four. So we've had to cancel a lot of teams because of the civil unrest, which is really disappointing because our kids love when we have teams, and that's also another way for our kids to get the word. So that's what I'm going to say about the civil unrest. Um, so I'm going to tell you about the orphanage and our organization. So we have 39 kids at the orphanage. Um, we have a girls' home, two boys' home. I have a preschool class. We have a pavilion, a guest house, and an infirmary. And then I'm also getting a house built for me, which I'm super thankful for to have my own space now. So, <laughs> um, so we have a pretty big compound. Um, we, so we have 39 kids. Our youngest one is two. Our oldest is 19. So we have two 19-year-olds. Our kids transition out of the orphanage whenever they're 18 and they go live in the community, and we still support them, make sure they go to school, they have a place to live, they have food. Um, <clears throat> so they transition out when they're 18. Um, so our kids do devotion three, three days a week, and they all go to church on Sunday. So our kids actually lead devotion. Um, so they sing, they read out of the Bible, and then our pastor, who's our, who's our director, he actually grew up in an orphanage, and his dream was to give back and to build this orphanage for other kids. And so um, our pastor will talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes, but our kids actually lead their own devotion, and they do it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then we all go to church on Sundays. So our kids are definitely given the word all the time. So um, all of our kids go to school. We have five kids that go to an American uh, Christian school, and eventually, once they graduate, we will, they'll have the opportunity to receive a student visa and come to the states to go to college here. So um, something that I recently started was a preschool and um, I did it last year with five of our kids and I had somebody come to me and they're like can we have some of our can we have two of our kids come to your preschool class they were community kids and I was like sure. So um, last year I did it and I really enjoyed having our, the community kids in my class because it gave them an opportunity to go to school because there is no public school in Haiti you have to pay so if you don't have money you don't go to school and so last year I only had seven kids which was fine but this coming like this school year I really wanted to open my class up to the community like to the community kids because I know a lot of them don't get the opportunity to go to school and I could also use that for a way to do devotions with them or you know give them the word and so um, at first, it was like a month before school, and I only had our five kids signed up, 
to go to my school, and my mom came and visited, and I said, we have got to go find some kids to go to my school. And so we walked around the community, and I think I found like one or two. So I was up to like seven. Well, the word got out, and I have 25 kids in my class now, and, and there is like a waiting list for my class. I have people come to my gate all the time begging me to let their kids go to my school, but since I'm only one person, um, I can't do that physically and maybe mentally. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I do have 25 kids. Um, so I have two classes. One is for like the toddlers, and then I have an older class, and it is a preschool, but I have three nine-year-olds in my class because their parents came to me and said they had never gone to school, and so I wanted to give them the opportunity to go to school. And um, like they don't know how to hold a pencil, they can't write their letters, they don't know how to spell their name. And so in my preschool, um, each day I do a devotion with my kids. Um, with my little kids, it's a little bit more simple, just like learning how to say, Jesus loves me, or doing like a Sunday school craft, or we do a little bit more simple things in there. But with my older kids, we actually kind of go more in depth of why does Jesus love me? And so um, we make little crafts, and we made one that said, Jesus is the light of the world, and it was a sun. And we hung it up, and I made, it, I made them say it a million times because they don't speak English, but they learned it in English. And when we were done with it, I said, okay, now take it to your house, give it to your friends, give it to your family, do whatever, and go tell people what it says. And so I'm trying to teach them what they learn in my class, take it out. We learn how to pray each day. Um, so... I'm hoping what they learn from me, they'll take home with them. Um, so I am praying about possibly getting um, help, like a helper for me, an extra teacher. And I'd also like to provide one meal for them, just like a plate of rice and beans. Um, so I am praying about doing that next year. Um, one last thing that I wanted to talk to you all about is there's a little boy, and his name is Josafa, and I have been with him since he is six months old. And I have changed his diapers, taken care of him, fed him, given him a bath. You name it, I've done it. So um, there was just like an instant connection when I met him. And I actually, like the first week I met him, I texted my mom and I said, I'm going to get guardianship of Josafa one day. So when I go back, I'm going to start that process. And um, so pray for me about that because it's not easy and it's long and it's expensive. So please pray as I start that process with Josafa. Um, I just want to say thank you, because without Carpenter's Way support, I cannot be in Haiti. I can't do my preschool class. Um, I can't run the guest house. I can't be in Haiti. So without Carpenter's Way support, I cannot be in Haiti. So I just want to say thank you all. And um, I have a table outside, so after, if you want to come. And I have some prayer cards that have the kids on them. And I have, like, a flyer and some stuff. So after the service, if you want to come and see me and ask me questions, I'll be out there for a few minutes. And now I have a video to show you. So thank y'all. Peace, bring me all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. As your name still, call the Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble.
So this is what it looks like to be a missionary. How old are you? 23. 23, so you're old. And um, <laughs> you graduated from Lufkin High School, right? With your son. Grew, yes, with my son, that's right. Uh, and you are, uh, you grew up at Denman Avenue Baptist. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? So we have a lot of people that come in, and you meet missionaries, and you see them middle-aged and stuff. But this is, this is what it looks like to start out. And I mean... We need to pray for her about adopting this child or getting governorship of this child. She said it will cost several thousand dollars, and maybe one of you out there would be glad to sponsor her on that. It would be a good use of money. Uh, that's just a few Starbucks coffees uh, a week. But, uh, but we are very proud of you. And what an honor to have missionaries of all ages. And uh, one, of the, one of the trips that got canceled was ours. We had a group of people that were hoping to go this last summer. But because of the unrest, it becomes dangerous, and, and you getting out of Haiti was difficult. It took mm -hmm. you several times, right? Well, yeah. So we left at 5 o'clock in the morning because that's usually like when the road, people are still sleeping or starting to wake up. And so we left at 5 o'clock in the morning. We did have to turn around a few times because the road was blocked, but I had to go stay in a guest house for four nights just so we know we, we could make it to the airport. So 
But I didn't have any events while I was drafted. But, but you don't know that, right? Yeah. And so we need to be praying for Cassidy and all those that we support. But I want you to know you support her through the church's giving, your giving. Also, we were able to participate in her home. I think we bought you a TV because you've got to have a TV. Yeah. And, uh, and an office desk. Mm -hmm. And there are other things. And we put, um, as you see on our Facebook page, when we get letters from Cassidy and other things that are going on, we put them on our Facebook page. And now you know her, so you can pray for her. And you can lift her up, and uh, we're, so, we're so proud of you. Thank you for sharing with Thank us you. this morning. And, uh, okay. So anyway, you're done now. Thank you. Isn't, isn't it a privilege to participate in ministry with people? Gosh, I love that. All right. Uh, if, okay, so uh, we already welcomed you. Glad you're here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I want to take a couple minutes and do some announcements, and then we'll get, in, we'll get on with our service. Um, I want to mention that uh, Sayla Burns has become a member, and we're glad to have you, Sayla, and others. We'll have another membership class at the beginning of the year, so just want to highlight that. Um, as uh, Christmas is coming, thank you, uh, you guys who helped with Opera Operation Christmas Child Stuff. We had um, oh, uh, just under 12,000 shoeboxes given in our area. That's, about, oh, that's a little over 1,000 more boxes than last year. We, uh, we filled two and a half semi-trailers, um, and um, Chastity Overby oversees that. She's not here today. But, man, we could not do that without your backs and your willingness to volunteer and serve. And I just want to thank you. Every one of those boxes represents a child somewhere in the globe that will hear the gospel. It will be uh, joined by about a million other boxes. And Samaritan's Purse does such a good job in, in evangelizing as well as follow-up. So thank you for, your, uh, for that. Thank you for coming on Tuesday night to Agape Feast. It was so fun. We had the room full. And, uh, and now as we turn our eyes towards Christmas and celebrating the birth of our Lord, um, we're going we're gonna to jump neck deep in that. In fact, Tuesday night there's a ladies' event. And uh, so, and that's going to be in this room. We, uh, and so, guys, after this morning service, we're going to have communion at the end. After this morning service, we need to just push these chairs to the side and these chairs to the side. We're not going to stack them, but I need some guys to help. And then we're going to bring about 17 or 18 tables in, and then we're going to put chairs around them because we've got a large women's event this year, uh, dinner coming up Tuesday night, and we just need to set up for that. And, and uh, so, uh, gentlemen, after communion, if you'd hang around just a few minutes, and then we'll get you back to Bible study. And, and you can uh, get to seat. Make sure you greet Cassidy and give her a hug and, and uh, tell her you'll pray for her. Um, uh, where's Mark Strong? Mark, why don't you come up? Mark uh, is one of our elders and on our personnel team has an announcement, and then we will uh, pray for our offering. Thank you. Good morning. Just a reminder, today is the last day we'll be taking up a staff love offering for our staff. And, you know, I was reminded over Thanksgiving, I was visiting with some relatives, and they were talking about, oh, we're having all this unrest and these problems in our church. And, and they ended by saying, well, I guess that's just the way it is everywhere. And I had to pop in and say, no, not really. Uh, and it just made me really thankful for what we have here at Carpenter's Way. And, you know, our staff and support staff are a big part of that. They keep us focused on the main thing, which is God and his word. So this is really the only time of year that we have a chance to show our appreciation for that. So if you have a chance, just drop something in the plate, and I know they'll appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time and, uh, and to prepare for our offering. I know we have some visitors today, and the only thing we ask of you this morning is that you not participate in our offering. That's for those of us who attend here regularly. Um, for, family, what you saw this morning in Cassidy is part of what we give towards. Uh, it's about 15 to 16% of our budget. 
<clears throat> that goes towards missions, that leaves this building right off the top, and we're very excited to participate. And uh, so thank you for your faithful giving, and, and we appreciate that. Again, if you're visiting, um, just pass the plate as it comes by. We don't want you feeling obligated. This is for those who attend here regularly. Let's commit our, the rest of our service to the Lord. Father, thank you for um, raising up harvesters, young men and women, and old men and women that go and serve you full-time, leave the comfort of their home. Um, when we want to fly, we get nervous about the safety of the flight, but we, we get there two hours ahead of time. We don't even think about what could happen on the road down there. Um, and Cassidy had to plan four days' worth, and I can't even imagine how uh, being an American kid, you, you live on a schedule and not having one. Father, thank you for your, her heart, Lord. Thank you for her heart for people. And she's fallen in love with this little boy. And, and if you would see fit, Father, for her to adopt this child or get guardianship, that's what we ask for her, Father. We ask for this young man that he would grow up in her home, that, she, that he, would, he would learn to love her God. Um, that is not an easy task, but it is one you are calling her to. And we pray for courage. We pray for the financial resources she needs for that. We pray that you'd raise up men and women who'd want to sponsor her and continue to support her. And I pray for... Also, though, Father, that she'd have a blast with her family over these holidays and uh, that she gets to go to Chick-fil-A and drink Dr. Pepper because soon she won't have that anymore. And I thank you for the little gifts from you. As we turn our face now, Father, towards your word and, and towards worship and, and, and totally away from the world, I pray you'd speak to us and encourage us. And uh, Lord God, thank you. And we pray for those that are away on, at Thanksgiving and give them safety as they come back. And I just pray for a wonderful season of Advent. We commit our service to you and our lives to you and ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The offering plate passing if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my Jesus, the only one that could ever 
subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir.
has come, oh Christ has come, hallelujah, so let us sing and praise the King,
be seated. We'll dismiss the kids to GPS at this time. In the uh, short time we have together this morning before our time of communion, I'd like to take a few minutes and reflect together on, uh, on, on something Jesus said over and over to those that were following him during his ministry. We have been, uh, for the last year, in a study of the life of Christ from the Gospels. We're taking all four Gospels and kind of trying to put them in a timeline. And it's been a great study. We're going to take the next few weeks off. We'll pick that up again in, in January. But we're going to take the next few weeks off and, uh, and talk about Advent and, and Jesus coming. But, but I, thought, I thought this morning that I wanted to take some time to reflect on something that we have heard over and over again. It's almost come up in every message because Jesus says it over and over again. In fact, I'll have, put, I'll have uh, Kevin put it on the screen. It's, it's found, one of the locations it's found is actually Mark 8.34 where it says, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is by no means an unfamiliar statement to you. Uh, Jesus says it over and over again in the Gospels. In fact, it's found in almost identical wording in three of the four Gospels. Jesus says it on multiple occasions at different times to multiple different crowds during his ministry. It's not, unfaith, it's not unfamiliar to us in this time of history because probably many of you have gone to a church camp as a teenager or some sort of VBS program where that is the theme or surely you've heard a pastor or a Bible study leader make reference to it uh, one time or another. But while this statement is not unfamiliar to us, I don't know how seriously we take it or even how to take it seriously. I mean, we really, really don't know what it means to put your selfish ambition aside, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. I mean, does it mean that we should be willing to give up football on Sundays if it, if it conflicts with church gatherings? Uh, does, it, does it mean that we should give up alcohol because Christians don't drink? Is that what it means? Does picking up your cross and putting your selfish ambition aside mean that you literally build a cross, put wheels on the back of it, and walk across the country? Because surely we've had evangelists do that for the past hundred years to make a statement and to be in the paper. To be honest, I'm not sure that we really think about it enough to really actually personalize it, but what we do know is Jesus was very emphatic about it. It seems to be almost a summary statement of his ministry. When he was talking to people that were following him, it seems to be the next level call. I mean, look at it again, calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. 
As I was thinking on this this week about the devotion before communion, I, I went and I read a lot of these statements where Jesus says this. And there's one thing in common, and it doesn't start late in his ministry. It starts early, as early back as the Sermon on the Mount, which was fairly early in his ministry. But they, there is one thing in common every time he says it. And that is he says it to groups of people that already think they're followers. He says it to people that are already there as a crowd, listening to him teach, and most of which, if you study the context, actually consider themselves disciples of his or making him their rabbi. That's the guy, and and of course we, we have the English understanding of that, but in Jewish culture, to make somebody your rabbi is to say, I'm going to buy into that guy's philosophy of life. I believe the things he teaches. In fact, I'm going to emulate his life with mine. I am going to become what he says I should be. And these groupings of people across the board, Gentile as well as Jew, had decided that Jesus was the guy they were going to follow. And yet, he, and yet he says this to them. If any of you wants to be my follower, and in Mark it says, and I'm pointing at the back because that's where I see it, but he's inviting the crowd to join his disciples. Now, I, again, in order for us to really get hit in the face with that, you have to understand, that, again, that these people thought they were his disciples already. So he's listening to them, calling them to be a disciple. Hey, I want you to join my, my group, my merry men of followers. But to be one of them, you have to put your selfish ways aside, take up your cross and follow me. This invitation was actually the invitation to stop merely following Jesus around, waiting for him to give them what they actually came to him for, whether it be a healing, food, Love, nationalism, whatever it is that they were following Jesus to get, he's actually calling them to put that thing aside, leave that behind, and become a fully invested, committed disciple, which required doing life and having the value system and having the worldview of the one you're following. It's a radical call that if you really want to be with him, you're going to have to give up your own way of thinking, of living, of what you expect from this life, and live for him. Some translations of your Bible actually translate it as putting aside your selfish ambition. I don't, I don't like that phraseology as much because the problem I have with it is when you hear the word selfish, your head immediately goes down and goes, oh yeah, I'm a selfish person. This, this really isn't a, he's not saying you selfish jerks. He's saying that we all come to the table with goals, dreams, and ideas that are centered around our goals, dreams, or ideas. They aren't necessarily sinful things. They might be, but they're just self-centered things. And so whenever you hear selfish, the word selfish, the adjective, we immediately go to, yes, I'm a selfish person. And we don't hear the rest of the statement. Jesus isn't telling the disciples, Peter specifically, James and John, who are fishermen, "You you need to give up that sinful fishing. He's saying, drop your nets and follow me. I want you to follow me, kind of like what you heard about this morning. There's lots of different... I remember sitting with Cassidy and talking about her goals in life and encouraging her to pursue a theological education, but God had called her something different. She would learn while she went, and she couldn't help but go and serve the Lord. She dropped everything, and just to be sure, I know that it's hard for us here. This is one of the reasons we want you all to go on short-term mission trips, because it's hard for us to envision what a life of a missionary looks like 
because we see pictures and there's cute children and there's music in the background that we're familiar with and we look at all that. But in between all that, there's kids with snot noses and, and, and there's no showers and sleeping with, with the people you're ministering to. And there's, you know, she's getting, she's getting a mansion built for herself right now. It's huge. It has one bedroom and a shower that probably looks like a bucket. It's, it's, it's going to be great. The truth is, she comes home. I asked her, I said, what are you enjoying most? And after your family, <laughs> save that. Uh, but I asked her what she was enjoying most. She said Chick-fil-A and, uh, and Dr. Pepper. I mean, if you ask any missionary who's been across the globe, they'll tell you, well, it's, it's a little less common now because you can get a hamburger just about anywhere, but a hamburger or, you know, brisket, a good set of ribs, you know. They miss the food, the culture, the safety. I mean, you are on task all the time when you're on the mission field. Here, after a day of ministry, we go home and I, I lock my door and I can turn on my TV and I can pretend I'm just like everybody else, if you understand what I'm saying. I mean, this is, that's what it looks like. I, I, we've, as we've studied the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus together, I've told you over and over that I, I've stolen the, the, the term from the Bible project, which says this kingdom that we've chosen to be a part of and been invited to be a part of is, is an upside-down kingdom. Everything your gut tells you is probably wrong. And it includes this. In this upside-down kingdom that we have been adopted into, the world and actually some pastors in churches and authors that claim to be Christian actually tell you to find people and supporters and philosophies and even religious leaders that will help you accomplish your own dreams and desires, that will help you live your best life now. And I know half of you are going, oh, I know what he's talking about. That's just one guy among many that are telling people that. I encourage you to be critical thinkers when you buy a Christian book on self-help. Pop Christian psychology is still psychology. It's you helping you. Jesus is saying, give that up. What Jesus is saying is if you want to be in my discipleship troop, if you actually want to be my follower, you're going to give up your best life now and serve me. Over the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about what the Advent, the word Advent actually means the coming of Jesus. And there's actually two volumes to that story, and we only think of one. We think of the Advent, what the Jews were thinking when they were looking forward to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the big idea of the next two weeks' messages, but you still have to be here. And next week, we're going to talk about what the Jews were anticipating in their Messiah. And just so you know, everybody was looking forward to his coming. They just didn't like it when he got here. But they were looking forward to his coming. It is reasonable to believe, as Rich Mullins, the late Rich Mullins song sings about, it is reasonable to believe that the Jewish children prayed for the Messiah and every young lady prayed that she could be the mother of the Messiah if the, if the prophets were right. We're going to talk about the Advent and what they were looking forward to and why they were looking forward to it. And then in two weeks, I want to reintroduce you to the fact that you are in an Advent of Jesus, but we don't do it because we have such good lives now. But we should be like John was at the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Our Lord didn't come once. He's coming twice. And our great hope, and, and, and look, I, you know that I grew up under Tim LaHaye. Appreciate Tim LaHaye. But you understand that after Tim LaHaye and many of the modern-day prophets, as they call themselves, they turn to the great hope of the church, that is the return of Christ, into the great terror of the world. The truth is it's become terrorizing since the Left Behind series, that, that bad movie series in the 70s. But that is the hope of the church. 
The hope of the church is not to put your wealth in today, but to put it in the future. And that is very important for us to understand if we're going to pick up our cross now. Because the question that the Christian might ask is, well, when do I get mine? Well, that's awful selfish, Pastor. Can a Christian ask that? Yes, because Jesus said, I'm creating yours for you right now. I go to prepare a place for you. Seek the kingdom of God. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We look forward to what we're going to receive while right now we pick up our cross and follow him. But if you're not looking forward to the advent of Jesus that is yet coming, and I'm, I'm preaching two weeks' message, but you have to come because that's what Christians do. But, but the truth is we have to get ourselves to the place where we really believe he's coming back or we're going to be with him, and either are just equally as glorious for a child of God. If you read the Gospels, you can tell that Jesus obviously means it. He's not being cute by half or being metaphorical when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, or put your selfish ambition aside and follow me, because that's what he did. What is really neat is when I just said that Cassidy is a good example of that, and, and she didn't, I should have her sit right up here with a spotlight on her, because that would make her very comfortable, because she's kind of a, 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 you can tell, an attention hog from the way she talks. But the truth is, that the Bible gives us many examples of this. That's why we study the Scriptures. That's why you should study the Old Testament, because it gives you examples of people who struggled with living for themselves and not understanding God, but in the end, surrendered themselves. There is an Old Testament character that I want to concentrate on this morning, and some of you are going to freak out when, I, when you realize who it is because I said Old Covenant or Old Testament character. Uh, would you, Kevin, would you put her picture on the screen, please? Go back to that. That's it. I know some of you are going, what, did you paint that, Mark? No. Her soon-to-be-adopted child painted it. I'm kidding. That's actually one of the oldest pictures we have of Mary. Let me read for you her story. This is a painting that was passed around from church to church. We do not know much more than that on it. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is upon you. Because we all know that that's how he spoke. Now I want to remind you that this is a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl who's got big dreams for her life. She's going to marry a carpenter. She's already engaged. He's probably midlife, making him late, early 30s probably. Why would a girl marry a guy that age? Because her goal in life was to give him children, and that gave her a long time to do that. And he would have the resources at that point to take care of a large family. So she's excited about that. She's excited to live in a no-name town. And I, I can't actually give you a really good example of what Nazareth was. You've heard the jokes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth is what they said about Jesus as a joke. Just to give you an idea, like Zavala, I guess. People asking, can anything good come out of a Zavala? Yeah, God came out of Zavala. You know, so this is a girl in a no-name town, a disrespected town in the middle of nowhere marrying a no-name guy. This is a no-name Jewish girl from a no-name Jewish family. Her heritage is pretty great, but nobody knows that. Everybody is, is from a line. Gabriel appears there and he says, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is upon you. He's with you. Her response, confused and disturbed. I love that. The Bible is full of understatements. This is an understatement. It'd be like you going home this afternoon and preparing to come back at 4 o'clock and help us decorate the church. That was an advertisement. But 
It'd be like you going home this afternoon, you make lunch for your family, you turn on the Dallas Cowboy game, you have big hope. No, they're not playing today. Uh, Houston or somebody else who's playing, your favorite football team, you have great hopes of them winning. And when they do, your team that you shouldn't be betting on wins, and you'll make a big win and you can pay for Christmas. How dare you gamble? But while that's going on, all of a sudden an angel approaches you in your room and says, hello, favored follower of God. You have been chosen for a great task. When you're done wetting yourself, I mean, it says that she was confused and disturbed. Of course she was. She had no expectation of an angel approaching her that day. Mary tried to think of what he could mean. Favored? Hello? The Lord is with me. What are you talking about? Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. I'm so tired of angels telling people that. It's such a dumb statement. You're floating. This is not normal. Hello? What do you mean, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid, he told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, now, while this is all going on and you and I are celebrating the birth of our Lord and we can hear Christmas songs in our heads, Mary's thinking about one thing. I've never been with a man, sir. How is that going to happen? How do I know that? Because that's the question she asks. She no longer is wondering why somebody floating is in front of her or why he's glowing or why she's favored. Now she's asking the question that everybody resorts to. You want to know if she's a normal girl? That's a girl question. Um, how, can that, how can that be? Because I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I love this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is crazy. This is insane. I mean, before we even get to what it's going to cost her in her life, and now you and I can look back at what it cost her, before we even get to that, this is an insane thing for a young teenage girl who has never been with a man, who is engaged to be with a man, and the engagement is, is like a, a pre-marriage marriage where you can't have sex with him for a year, so she's staying faithful to that. She lives in a very Jewish community. We know that because they want to stone both of them to death for committing adultery because she's pregnant and they're not married yet. This is going to ruin her life, folks. But even before they get to the ruining her life and her dreams thing, she just went from being excited about a guy named Joe that she was going to marry and have little Joes with and actually raise a nice little family in a no-name town and periodically go to Jerusalem as their, you know, for festivities. She is now uprooted because God found favor on her. Think about that. Well, thanks for choosing me. This isn't the lotto family. This is a calling. This young Jewish girl had plans for her life. And one ordinary day, her life's interrupted by an angel who says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord's with you. And it left her confused and disturbed because she is a virgin. After regaining her composure, she brings up the virginity question, to which the angel tells her, 
She is about to be impregnated by the third person of the Trinity, regardless of her virginity, and that this will happen by a very super, the very supernatural power of God. He then tells her that her son is going to be the one she and her people have prayed to forever, for thousands of years actually, the Son of God, the Holy One, God Himself. And he then tells her she will know this is true because he realizes it's unbelievable if she goes and checks out her barren old woman cousin or relative who is pregnant with a child too, another miraculous event. See, see, that's something we don't think about in the story. I know that we love the romantic story where when Mary shows up, John the baptizer you know, jumps in her womb. He leaps. We love that part of the story. But have you ever asked yourself why the angel tells her that Elizabeth is pregnant? Why does God bring that up? Why does he impregnate her? It isn't just so John the baptizer could be birthed. Actually, it isn't so they become friends. He does it so that she could know she's not just having bad, a bad dream from the pizza she had the night before. God always tells us how to validate his promises and his weirdness in our lives. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable because it's not believable. What God asks of her because she's favored and chosen is simply not possible. But what does Mary say in res response to this ridiculous, crazy, unheard of, personally painful, unexpected calling on her life? I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Wow. In other words, in Zavala's turn, bring it. Do you realize what it would cost her? She didn't know all of this at this time. But she would give birth and raise God. If that isn't enough, she would be in way over her head as her son at 12 years of age would remain in the temple as they're heading back to Nazareth. And when she says, why have you scared us so much? Remember on the way back, they realized four days later that Jesus isn't with them. So they go back to the temple and they find him there having conversations and actually teaching the rabbis. Remember, remember what she says to him, how could you do this to your father and I? And Jesus is God, Jesus, God, his response to her, woman. I told you I was going to be in my father's house. Joseph was with me. Joseph isn't my dad. <gasps> Listen, you little smart aleck, I'm going to wipe that out of your mouth. How do you raise God? If you spank him, you're going to hell. <laughs> I mean, we, we look back on all this as kind of a normal story, and, but, but that woman who's holding the baby, can you see little Jesus there with the big, big eyes? He obviously had big eye sockets. Can you see the picture or no? I didn't bring my little pointer. I love to use it. I use it once or twice every 15 years. But that little baby was God. When she changed his diaper, she was changing God's diaper. It tells us that when the wise men came, when he was about two years old, she took it in because she couldn't understand it. When the shepherds walk in and talk about an angel going to them, she had to be going, this is cool. She would have to watch as her other children, and she does have more children. She would have to watch as they scoffed at Jesus' teachings and miraculous behavior. We'll get to that soon. They mock him. They dare him to do miracles. You want to be followed? Do more of those little tricks you do. 
They weren't followers of Jesus right away. And as a mama, she'd have to watch that. You don't think your kids get along well? Neither did hers. She would watch as her own community would try to throw her son off a cliff. She would watch him be arrested, stripped naked, he didn't wear a loincloth, beaten and mocked as he hung on a cross. She would watch as his 12 closest friends, one would turn him in, the other 11 would hide. She would at some point have to realize that that really wasn't her son. He was her Lord. How weird would that be? And you want to hear what she felt weeks later, so... so Certainly she doesn't know all that would happen in her life, but after hearing from the angel and after seeing Elizabeth is pregnant, again, keep it in context and time because it's important. She goes to Elizabeth not just because the angel told her that was the next thing to do in the story of the nativity as we know it, but because she needed to go to make sure this was real. She gets there and Elizabeth is six months pregnant and Luke 1 tells us her response. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She got it. And she thanked God that she was in the middle of it all. Jesus said, calling to his crowd, inviting them to join the disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way. Give up your way, pick up your cross, and follow me. Mary is what following that invitation looks like. And I know we don't like to talk about Mary very much because we're afraid of becoming pseudo-Catholic. This is a woman that deserves great respect and much study simply because of her faithful humility. Mary submitted to God when he asked her for the most ridiculous thing. An untouched womb. She transferred her hope immediately from a good, simple, clean life in Nazareth to putting all of her hope in God's calling and promises to her and people after. She went from transferring her joy and peace from her feelings and experience to God. She put her hope in the Lord and His promises. She put her faith in Him, not her experiences. There's another example of this kind of submission in the New Testament. He's also in this picture. Though Christ was God, he didn't think equality with God something to be cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. The little one in her arms, she's on the right. She's got a blanket around her legs. 
And just above the blanket, right around her right shoulder blade, is a baby. That's God. That's the Holy One who created all things, Hebrews tells us. That little baby is the one that the Jehovah, the Father, says in Hebrews chapters 1 through 3, he bows to and said, your throne, O God, rules forever. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one who actually chose you to be his child. That little baby in her arms that threw up and pooped, that was God. That was God. And he came to tell us how much they loved us, they being the Trinity, and how badly they want to fix what we broke. That through himself and his death on the cross, and, and he humbled himself to death, we too can be saved. That's what Christmas is really about. The story is only important because it exemplifies what he asks of you. Everything. I am sorry you've been lied to. Those of you who got saved being told that your family life would be better haven't read the story. Or that life would be easier, you haven't read Hebrews. Life will get better, and it will be easier. And the life lived here of Mary was an abundant, full life, full of joy, but joy despite pain, because she put her hope in what he promised, not what she felt. And I think you've been learning that with me through this study of Jesus' life. And as we take communion this morning, and it's going to be what we call rip and dip communion. We call it that for a reason, because you take the bread and you just rip a little piece off and you don't drink out of the cup. Nobody will take it after you. And there will be people to wrestle you down. The reason there's bread in this is because it exemplifies what Jesus did. He was willing not just to bleed, but to live and, and pay the price. When Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, pick up your cross and follow me, he's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. I've done this. I still do it. I've been there. I am doing this. I want to go home and have dinner. I want to watch TV. I want to I chill. I want to go sit next to my father's throne. I want to party. But that's not my task. Jesus said at least five times in the Gospels, I didn't come to do my own will, I came to do the will of my Father. And one, the night he's betrayed. So Jesus isn't asking something from you that he himself hasn't done. He wasn't asking of Mary something he wasn't willing to do. He's asking us to participate in his plan. That may in fact hurt. May call you to Hades. To adopt a little child that somebody else birthed. Maybe to live in East Texas and Give up things for the king. There's a cost. So I thought as we walk into the Christmas season, as we look at that woman in the upper right who was favored by God and should be revered by us, I thought it'd be a really good time for us to have our own little version of an altar call for all the 38 weeks of study we've had. And what does that look like? Not me and a bunch of counselors up front, but you and God. As we wrap up our time here together today, getting up with your family, coming forward, ripping a piece of bread off, if you're willing to pick up your cross and follow him, dip it into the grape juice, and that's all it is, it isn't wine, and taking it. If your children are in this room, ushering them forward and looking at your kids and praying with them, saying this is our core value as a family. 
We will follow Jesus even if it hurts. Whether you're a member of Carpenter's Way or not, you are invited to participate. But only if you mean it. The way we're doing it today, nobody's going to be looking at you if you don't. Don't pretend. What I'm not saying is don't just don't do it because you don't want to. Man up, woman up, and follow Jesus. Stop making excuses. It's time. No matter what you did this week, no matter how much sin you indulged in, knock it off. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. So quit living for yourself. You've been studying this with me. You've heard the stories. It isn't Mark's message. It's Jesus's. Pick up your cross and follow him. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. But I don't want it to hurt. Nobody wants it to hurt. But at least this pain will end shortly and we will go home. When our Lord returns for us or we go to join him and there will be great joy, never again will there be crying or pain or tears or sickness or, or money problems. Until then, there will be all of those things. But if we're living for Jesus, they're his problems, not ours. So I'm going to pray. Julie's going to play Christmas music. And I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. I do want to remind you I need some help after. Uh, if some guys are willing, you know, about five or ten minutes, people will be ushered out of here and heading on to Bible study or meeting Cassidy and hugging her neck and her family. Her family's given up a great cost for the king too. So hug them and pray for them. Guys, if you come back in and help us to send, all we're doing is moving these chairs to the side. Do not stack them. I will tackle you. We will remove your salvation if you do it wrong. I know, we don't have that kind of authority. And then we'll get on with Christmas. How about that? Lord Jesus, thank you for not asking us to do anything or give anything you haven't already done or given. Thank you for the end of that statement that we're familiar with. You said pick up your cross and follow me. You said, I'll go first. And so you have. Now make us like Mary. Make us like Paul. Make us like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Make us like Daniel. Make us like Abraham. Make us like Elijah. Ultimately, make us like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're dismissed. Take communion as you're ready.
Check. One. Thank you. All right. So if those of you hanging out helping us uh, do this middle section only, we're just going to slide.